European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 44, Issue 37. Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Focus on Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. New ESC Guidelines and Key Meta-Analyses. This focus issue on heart failure and cardiomyopathies contains the 2023 ESC guidelines for the management of cardiomyopathies developed by the Task Force on the Management of Cardiomyopathies of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, from authors of the ESC Scientific Document Group. This is a new guideline, not an update of existing guidelines, with the exception of the section on hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, in which the authors have provided a focused update to the 2014 ESC Guidelines on Diagnosis and Management of Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy. As such, most of the recommendations in this guideline are new. It is beyond the scope of this guideline to provide detailed descriptions and recommendations for each individual cardiomyopathy phenotype. Instead, the aim is to provide a guide to the diagnostic approach to cardiomyopathies, highlight general evaluation and management issues, and signpost the reader to the relevant evidence base for the recommendations. This issue also contains the 2023 focused update of the 2021 ESC guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of acute and chronic heart failure developed by the Task Force for the Diagnosis and Treatment of Acute and Chronic Heart Failure of the European Society of Cardiology, ESC, with the special contribution of the Heart Failure Association, or HFA, of the ESC. Since the publication of the 2021 ESC Guidelines for the Diagnosis and Treatment of Acute and Chronic Heart Failure, or HF, there have been several randomised controlled trials that should change patient management ahead of the next scheduled full guidelines. This 2023 focused update addresses changes in recommendations for the treatment of HF because of this new evidence. New evidence was considered until the 31st of March 2023. All major randomized controlled trials and meta-analyses were presented, discussed, and then voted upon for inclusion. Members with declared interest in specific topics were asked to abstain from voting on those topics. The trials were presented and discussed in detail before a consensus was reached about any possible classes of recommendations and levels of evidence to be assigned. For decades, HF with preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF, proved an elusive entity to treat. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Mechanisms of Benefits of Sodium Glucose Cotransporter 2 Inhibitors in Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction, Arjun Pandey and colleagues from McMaster's University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, note that Sodium Glucose Cotransporter 2, or SGLT2 inhibitors, have recently been shown to reduce the composite of HF hospitalization or cardiovascular death in patients with HEFPEF in the Landmark Deliver and Emperor Preserve trials. While improvements in blood sugar, blood pressure and attenuation of kidney disease progression 
all may play some role, preclinical and translational research have identified additional mechanisms of these agents. The SGLT2 inhibitors have intriguingly been shown to induce a nutrient deprivation and hypoxic-like transcriptional paradigm, with increased ketosis, erythropoietin, and autophagic flux in addition to altering iron homeostasis, which may contribute to improved cardiac energetics and function. These agents also reduce epicardial adipose tissue and alter adipokine signaling, which may play a role in the reductions in inflammation and oxidative stress observed with SGLT2 inhibition. Emerging evidence also indicates that these drugs impact cardiomyocyte ionic homeostasis, although whether this is through indirect mechanisms or via direct off-target effects on other ion channels has yet to be clearly characterized. Finally, SGLT2 inhibitors have been shown to reduce myofilament stiffness as well as extracellular matrix remodeling stroke fibrosis in the heart, improving diastolic function. The SGLT2 inhibitors have established themselves as robust disease-modifying therapies and as recent trial results are incorporated into clinical guidelines, will likely become foundational in the therapy of HEFPEF. In a Viewpoint article entitled Reviving the Ischemic Paradigm in Heart Failure, Stitches Are Needed. Louise Rodrey from Universidade Federal do Rio Grande do Sol in Porto Alegre, Brazil, and John McMurray from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom, remind us that over recent decades, HF with reduced EF, or HEFREF, has been transformed from a highly lethal disorder with a short life expectancy to a more chronic condition with much improved quality and quantity of life. Most of these successful therapies modulate homeostatic systems that are deleteriously activated after an index insult to the heart. Despite unquestionable benefits, our therapeutic actions are primarily restricted to ameliorating the secondary consequences of reduced cardiac contractility. However, therapeutic strategies aimed at preventing recurrent direct myocardial injury, e.g. due to further coronary artery occlusion, should also be a priority. Moreover, in patients with severe obstructive coronary artery disease, or CAD, chronic myocardial hyperperfusion may cause or exacerbate left ventricular systolic dysfunction, hibernating myocardium, and this might be reversible with restoration of coronary blood flow. The logical extension of this conceptual framework, if correct, is that diagnosis and treatment of CAD should be central to the management of patients with HEFREF. Surprisingly, however, few randomized clinical trials have evaluated the efficacy and safety of coronary revascularization in patients with HEFREF. A third of patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM, have non-obstructive HCM, or NHCM, without left ventricular outflow tract obstruction at rest or with provocation. In another Viewpoint article entitled Beta Blockers in Non-Obstructive Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Time to Ease the Heart Rate Restriction Adea Weisslesnia and colleagues from the University of Connecticut Framington in Connecticut, USA, 
Note that despite a paucity of evidence, beta blockers are recommended in NHCM. In this contribution, the authors discuss emerging data that suggests that this guidance may lack a convincing rationale and may well be disadvantageous. Pulmonary hypertension is a complex disease. Adjustment of treatment based on remote monitoring of pulmonary artery, or PA, pressure may reduce the risk of hospitalization admission for HF, or HHF. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Efficacy of Pulmonary Artery Pressure Monitoring in Patients with Chronic Heart Failure, a meta-analysis of three randomized control trials. Pascal Kleffas and colleagues from the Erasmus MC University Medical Center in Rotterdam, Netherlands, conducted a meta-analysis of large randomized trials investigating this question. A systematic literature search was performed for randomized clinical trials with PA pressure monitoring devices in patients with HF. The primary outcome of interest was the total number of HHF. Treatment effects are expressed as hazard ratios, or HR, and pulled effect estimates were obtained applying random effects meta-analyses. Three eligible randomized clinical trials were identified that included 1,898 outpatients in New York Heart Associational Functional Classes 2 to 4, either hospitalized for HF in the prior 12 months, or with elevated plasma NT pro-BNP concentrations. The mean follow-up was 14.7 months, 68% of the patients were men, and 66% had an EF less than or equal to 40%. Compared with patients in the control group, the HR for total HHF in those randomized for PA pressure monitoring was 0.70, 0.58 to 0.86, P equaling 0.0005. The corresponding HR for the composite of total HHF, urgent visits and all-cause mortality was 0.75 and for all-cause mortality, 0.92. Subgroup analyses, including EF phenotype, revealed no evidence of heterogeneity in the treatment effect. The authors conclude that the use of remote PA pressure monitoring to guide treatment of patients with HF reduces episodes of worsening HF and subsequent hospitalizations. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Christiana Angermann and Georg Ertel from the University and University Hospital Würzburg in Germany. The authors note that in contrast to previous meta-analyses on hemodynamic monitoring, in this meta-analysis only controlled randomized trials evaluating the CardioMEMS pulmonary arterial pressure or PAP remote monitoring system were included. This commercially available technology uses a wireless implantable sensor powered externally by radiofrequency energy, placed in a branch of the left pulmonary artery to transmit daily snapshot estimates of PAP to healthcare providers, thus facilitating close remote patient management without the need for in-person visits and timely dynamic adjustments of HF treatments as required. The authors also identified some limitations. No individual patient data were available from Champion and Guide HF 
thus limiting the ability to assess interaction between variables. Even when combined for meta-analysis, the trials were underpowered to examine differences in mortality between intervention and control groups, which overall included a high-risk population. Lastly, the trials were performed in the USA or the Netherlands at sites with structured disease management programs run by multidisciplinary teams. Whether the meta-analysis findings can be reproduced in other healthcare environments, in which regulatory agencies dictate different approaches to standard care for HF, remains to be determined in future studies, such as the Passport HF trial in Germany. Treatment of acute HF remains challenging. In the ADVOR trial, azetosolamide improved decongestion in acute decompensated HF, or ADHF. In another fast-track clinical research article entitled Renal Function and Decongestion with Azetosolamide in Acute Decompensated Heart Failure, the ADVOR trial, Avolina Makers and colleagues from the Ziekenhaus Oost-Limburg AV in Genk, Belgium, point out that whether the beneficial effects of azetosolamide are consistent across the entire range of renal function remains unclear. This is a pre-specified analysis of the ADVOR trial that randomised 519 patients with ADHF to intravenous acetosolamide or matching placebo on top of intravenous loop diuretics. The main endpoints of decongestion, diuresis, natriuresis and clinical outcomes are assessed according to baseline renal function. Changes in renal function are evaluated between treatment arms. On admission, median estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, was 40, 30 to 52 millilitres per minute per 1.73 metres squared. Acetosolamide consistently increased the likelihood of decongestion across the entire spectrum of EGFR, p-interaction equaling 0.977. Overall, natriuresis and diuresis were higher with acetosolamide, with a higher treatment effect for patients with low EGFR, both p-interaction less than 0.007. Acetosolamide was associated with a higher incidence of worsening renal function, or WRF, rise in creatinine greater than or equal to 0.3 mg per deciliter during the treatment period, 40.5% versus 18.9%, p being less than 0.001 but there was no difference in creatinine after three months, P equaling 0.565. This was not associated with a higher incidence of HF hospitalisation and mortality, P interaction equaling 0.467. However, decongestion at discharge was associated with a lower incidence of adverse clinical outcomes irrespective of the onset of WRF, P interaction equaling 0.805. Mekas et al. conclude that azetazolamide is associated with a higher rate of successful decongestion across the entire range of renal function, with more pronounced effects regarding natriuresis and diuresis in patients with a lower EGFR. While WRF occurred more frequently with azetazolamide, this was not associated with adverse clinical outcomes. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial 
by Hector Bueno from the Universidad Complutense de Madrid in Spain and Milton Packer from the Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, USA. The authors note that the new analyses presented by the ADVOR investigators raise additional questions. In the original ADVOR report, when all patients were considered in the analysis, the increases in cumulative urinary sodium excretion and total urinary volume were modest. In absolute terms, when compared with placebo, azetazolamide produced an increase in urinary sodium that averaged 97 millimoles of excreted sodium and an increase in urinary volume of approximately half a litre over two to three days. Patients with physical signs of congestion, evident as meaningful peripheral edema, ascites and pleural effusion, have retained at least five litres of fluid. In these patients, resolution of congestion is typically accompanied by increases in urine volume in the active treatment group that exceeded those in the control group by at least 1.5 litres. Therefore, resolution of the signs of congestion in ADVOR would have necessitated an incremental diuresis of at least 2 to 2.5 litres of urine, rather than the 0.5 litre treatment effect that was reported in ADVOR. They conclude that the effects of azetazolamide in patients with acute HF and congestion clearly require further study to fully understand the mechanisms responsible for the beneficial effects of azetazolamide. Glyphlosins play a key role in the treatment of HF. In a meta-analysis entitled Mineral Corticoid Receptor Antagonists with Sodium Glucose Co-Transporter 2 Inhibitors in Heart Failure, a meta-analysis. Manak Banerjee and colleagues from the Institute of Postgraduate Medical Education and Research in Kolkata, India, investigate the cardiovascular effects of sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors, or SGLT2I, with concomitant mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, or MRA use, in HF regardless of EF, and explore the risk of MRA-associated adverse events in individuals randomized to SGLT2I versus placebo. PubMed, Stroke Medline, Web of Science, Embase, and clinical trial registries were searched for randomized control trials stroke post hoc analyses evaluating SGLT2I in HF with or without MRA use. Prospero, CRD 420-233, 97129. The main outcomes were composite of first hospitalization or urgent visit for HF stroke cardiovascular death, or HHF stroke CVD, HHF, and CVD. Others were all cause mortality, composite renal, and safety outcomes. Five eligible studies were included, pooling data from about 22,000 patients with HF. Compared with placebo, randomization to SGLT2I showed a similar reduction in HHF stroke CVD and HHF in patients who were or were not using MRAs. HHF stroke CVD, HR 0.75 versus 0.79, P interaction equaling 0.43, HHF, HR 0.74 versus 0.71, P interaction equaling 0.53, 
with the suggestion of greater relative reduction of CVD in patients randomised to SGLT2I and using MRAs, HR 0.81 versus HR 0.98, p-interaction equaling 0.034. SGLT2I reduced all-cause mortality, p-interaction equaling 0.27, and adverse renal endpoints, p-interaction equaling 0.73, regardless of MRA. SGLT2I attenuated the risk of mild hyperkalemia, p-interaction less than 0.001, and severe hyperkalemia, p-interaction equaling 0.051, associated with MRA use. Banerjee et al. conclude that MRAs do not influence SGLT2I effects on the composite of HHF stroke CVD, HHF, or all-cause mortality. However, findings hinted at a more pronounced relative reduction in CVD in chronic HF patients regardless of EF who are randomised to SGLT2I and receiving an MRA, compared with those randomised to SGLT2I and not receiving MRAs. SGLT2I attenuates the risk of MRA-associated hyperkalemia. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Johann Bauersachs and Samira Soltani from the Hanover Medical School in Germany. The authors note that based on the well-established reduction of mortality and HHF, MRAs need to be utilised in most patients with HF. The current meta-analysis provides additional data showing that there is a synergistic effect of both SGLT2 inhibition and an MRA for the prevention of CVD death as well as hyperkalemia, also for patients with reduced kidney function, EGFR less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared. In patients with contraindications for MRAs, after careful consideration, SGLT2 inhibitor use is nevertheless mandatory in HF irrespective of EF, as there was no significant interaction observed with MRA use regarding attenuation of total mortality HHF, as well as adverse kidney endpoints by SGLT2 inhibition. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled Detailed Safety Analysis of Diamond Trial, Primum Non Nocere, Rui Bacista and colleagues from the Centro Hospitalar de Rentre Uduro Ivuga in Portugal. Comment on the recent publication, Paterima for the Management of Hyperkalemia and Heart Failure with a Reduced Ejection Fraction, The Diamond Trial, by Javid Butler and colleagues from the University of Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi, USA. Butler et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.